you would be turning in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This morning we're going to read verses 8 through 13. And if you are able, if you would stand please. Verse 8. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Lord, we ask your guidance this morning as we go through your word. Lord, we pray that you would open up our hearts to receive what the Spirit has for us. Lord, help us to interpret these things correctly. And Father, most of all, we pray that you are glorified alone this morning. Lord, we thank you for the privilege to come and worship together, to come and sing praises, Lord. And we pray that we do those with a heart that is full of love. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So something a little different that we're going to do this morning. This thing was in my pocket. Some of you may have noticed. I tried to get rid of it before I get up here. But I'm going to play you something. If it works. I'm going to try to play it over here. Nothing you can do, but you can learn how to feel inside. See? 
stop it right there because the rest of the song, for you that know it, know it's just a repeating of that over and over and over. Not necessarily one of the deepest songs Paul McCartney ever wrote, but he wrote it nonetheless. Now, some of you are tapping toes. You recognized it, right? Uh, Tyler, he's an old soul, so he's back there. He's got the moves down. But what's the message that comes from the song? All you need is love, right? What's the astonishing thing about that song, though, is it's written by one of the most prominent atheists of that era. He's the one that says, what if? What if above you there is nothing but sky? What if there is no heaven? Now, Jacob, he didn't really appreciate, I don't think, the uh, musical value of that song. But in the day it was written, it was probably one of the most popular things ever written. The album was called Yellow Submarine, right? And the band is called The Beatles, all right? So why is the song wrong? Is that what we just read? All you need is love, right? Is that all we need? The, the odd thing about Paul McCartney writing this song, that all you need is love, is he doesn't really believe in objective principles of love. He believes love is subjected to the understanding of the people that do it, or those that receive it. That's why we name love so many different things. We call it tough love. We call it silly love. We call it puppy love. We have all these different words for how we experience love or how we interpret what someone else's love is for something else. I want us to, to concentrate here on something in verse 8. And it's the first phrase that really sums up the last section and really defines the upcoming. It says, love never fails. But there's some interesting things about this. If you look at uh, where we've been and where we're going. But really, first of all, let's talk about the, the Greek aspect of what it is. Love never fails. Now, the Bible was largely written in the New Testament in Greek. Whenever you look at this and you literally translate it, first of all, in front of uh, the word that here that is used for love is the article the. Mostly used, and we understand it in English, as a definite article. Okay? The second word used in this is agape. Now, a lot of you have heard many sermons on agape love, right? The love that the Father shows for those whom he is. Uh, save and the love that the Son has passed down from the Father. Unconditional love is what we like to give it as our description. All right. And the last phrase, and it's a phrase and I can't pronounce it, so I'm just going to give you the translation of it, literally means come to an end. So the love never comes to an end is what this phrase, if you were to literally translate it, expanded, saying. The love of what, though? If let me, let's, let's break this down even further, okay? If you are unable to communicate, 
If you are unable to verbally communicate or if you are unable to write or anything like that, can you still love? Absolutely. You can even express love in mannerisms, in eye contact, in in any type of movement can be interpreted rightly as love if it's being done rightly. Let's think about this though. If love never fails, what kind of love is this? It can't be the type that Paul McCartney's talking about. Because he says all you need is love. Well, the Bible never says that. The Bible here says love never fails. You remember the part we've been going through has been on spiritual gifts. And how spiritual gifts were being used in the church at Corinth. You can imagine it's like a a, a tongues battle every Sunday. You know, someone stands up and everyone has a word. And there's this guy over here wanting to prophesy. And this lady over here is bringing forth uh, what she thinks she has heard from God. And then all of them kind of break out in this jumbled mess. And Paul's trying to sort all this out. And he's trying to, to numb the confusion that's happening in the church here at Corinth. And he's trying to remind them that what they're doing, that God has indeed given people gifts. He's he's given people gifts to prophesy. He's given people gifts to speak in tongues. He's given people gifts of service. He's given people gifts of love. But he's narrowing it down here. And the motive behind what they're doing has to be love. And then he brings to an end this first section when he says love never fails. Literally, the love never comes to an end. Now I want us to think about something about the personhood of God in this. Did God have to create in order to love? That's kind of a deep question. Did God have to create in order to love? The great thing about the scripture, though, is it expands to us something of the nature of God in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And perfect communion. Did God have to create in order to love? Absolutely not. So then that kind of begs the question for me. What is love? We get the different translations that come through in the Bible of different types of love. And we do the same thing today. We, we just give it a... A, a verb or a pronoun and we turn it into a, a certain type of love for us to understand it. But if Paul McCartney's right and all you need is love, then he has to have some kind of working definition of love, right? What is it? Is it mutual affection? Is it caring? 
And, and I tell you uh, kind of where we're going with this, and we're going to expound a little bit on the rest of it, but we're going to come back to the, the, the statement, love never fails. All right, here's the rest. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part. We only know in part, right? And we prophesy in part. None of us have ever prophesied anything to the fullest extent. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. See how he starts this, picks this fight in the beginning that says love never fails. And he gets to the end he's telling them all these things that you're doing here are going to pass away. They're going to be done away with. It doesn't matter if you're talking about speaking in tongues. It doesn't matter if you're talking about prophesying. It doesn't matter if you're talking about the gifts of service in the church. All those things are going to go away. Practically speaking, they go away with our death. We no longer do them. What Paul's alluding to here, though, is that there's coming a time when you won't need these things. He says when the perfect comes, you won't need them. They'll be useless. It says, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Something changes throughout time. But we're sticking with the theme here that the greatest of these things that they should be manifesting in their gifts and whatever they're doing is love. And it's a love that never fails. It's a love that goes beyond the love that you can have for your spouse, for your career, or even for your children. It's a love that supersedes all these things. In that it's the one that will never be done away with. Never be done away with. If this love never fails. This love has to be manifested in something. And it's not subjected to our understanding. You think about if God did not have to create in order to love, then the love that the Father has for the Son and that the Son has for the Spirit, the perfect love that exists within the triune God, has been extended in Christ. Because, remember... We are not lovely because of us. We are lovely because of Christ. And it is the love which the Father has shown for the Son that has brought us and been reconciling us to Him. Think about that. It's not just the puppy love. 
or the feel-good love or whatever kind of love they were showing in the 60s. It's a love that exists in eternity past. It's a love that goes beyond you. It's a love that looks past us. Now, let's do a little bit, a little bit of application here. Now, we are to love one another. Right? Love one another. Can we do that perfectly? Absolutely not. But what are we to mimic? Why do we love one another, by the way? Why can we love anyone outside of our, our families? You know, that, that's the, the type of love that, you know, most people say is the deepest. And we have this conversation with a family member a lot of times. He talks about how much he loves his family and, and can't see past that, that there's a deeper love that he's supposed to have than just his, his brother, sister, mom, and dad. There's something that should transcend that, even earthly speaking. Why do I why do I love you? Why do I have to love you? What gives every one of you value? Is it chromosomes? Genes? Is it skin color, hair type? Is it your personality? You're just so funny. Is it just I'm supposed to grind my teeth and love you because you are you? No. What is it then? Jesus loved us first, but you were made in a certain way. You are made in the image and the likeness of God, and that I must love. If I'm to love anything, I am to express the love for you that God has made you in His image. And I cannot love God unless I love you. Now that gets a little difficult. Because there are some not so lovely people in the world, right? So we think. And there are some times when not so lovely people have to be treated not so lovely. And then we're letting the world describe for us again what love is. God defines love. There has to be an objective principle for it. Otherwise, it's just, you know, what happened in the 60s. That was not love. That was largely fornication and indifference. So how do we love one another? Some translations treat this as charity. Charity never fails. I want us to consider this uh, this morning. If Paul's talking to the church here, he's saying, you guys are wanting to use these gifts. And it's become a battle royale over the tongues and over everything else. 
What is it that they're missing? It's the love part. He's already gotten on to them earlier in the the letter about how they treat the Lord's Supper. And it's a like an all-you-can-eat buffet whenever they drop the crab legs off at the Chinese restaurant. People just swarm. You know, it's like if y'all have ever been to Hollis's, you know what it's like whenever the hot fish and the shrimp come out. People start coming from everywhere. But that's not the point. The point was never to eat had nothing to do with how much wine you got or how much bread you were offered or how hungry you were when you got there. The point was to share the meal in remembrance of the Lord. Why do we do what we do? In the context of church, in the context of family, in the context of work, why do we do what we do? Guys, if you don't go to work with an attitude of I'm loving my family in offering myself in my job to be able to provide for them and be able to give charitably in other ways, then your motivation for work is a little skewed. Ladies, if you are a stay-at-home mom and you wake up in the morning dreading what you have to do, I have to deal with these people all day long, they're always hungry. I, I can say that because I had uh, all of mine, less Olivia, plus a nephew yesterday, and they're always hungry. Everyone's always wanting a cookie. But if the whole point is just to deal with them all day long, then we're missing the point of parenting. It, it is out of love that I should make them this peanut butter sandwich. Or out of love that I tell them no, they can't have another cookie. Or out of love that I discipline them whenever they've directly disobeyed me and rightly discipline them depending on if they have violated one of my rules or one of God's rules. And then I have to rightly discipline myself whenever I see where they've got these bad habits from. Guilty as charged. Love never fails though in this context because it is not love that depends on my affection for something. It doesn't matter how much I like it. This is a love that goes beyond me. This is a love that goes beyond uh, the love that I have for my wife. This is something that is, uh, excuse this word, I don't mean to introduce a mystery into it, but supernatural. And all that means it is above what is natural. Do we have that love? Because Paul's saying the gifts are going away. Everything they're fighting over, everything that they're in debate over is going away. 
But something will remain. He gives us a list of three, and he tells us one is greater. Faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. So if you are a child of Christ, if you're a, I'm going to use the finger quotes, believer, because we have bunches of believers in churches all over the place that exhibit nothing but hate. They don't even want to be there. But they're just fulfilling the terms of the contract for the prayer they prayed whenever they were nine. If some type of love for someone else or for God's image in someone else is not manifested in your life, by proxy, you need to ask yourself, do I truly know Christ? Those are hard questions. And we like to answer them quickly. Yes. I remember that day. We remember that day because we try to forget about what happened two weeks ago. We try to forget about what happened a year after that day. Is there love in your life? I'm not talking about do you, do you like your grandfather. I'm talking about do you truly love people because Christ has loved you first. Do you experience that care that happens that comes from the Spirit? That's the concern we have. But here's where it gets even deeper. Okay? Uh, I shared a video, I think, with um, Tyler and Leah. I don't know if Andrew's seen it or not. Uh, but it's the, the San Francisco Gay Men's Choir. And they're singing this song. It says, we're basically going to take your children. We're going to teach your children. We're going to indoctrinate your children. And what are they going to indoctrinate them with? And what they say is, in order to love and not to hate. And by golly, I bet that's what Paul McCartney has in mind. That love is not to hate. But that's not true either. Because God hates sin. He hates your sin. It's despicable. He can love you, but he abhors your sin. So what is it? If I can't look back to that date, if I can't look beyond what I did yesterday, back to the day whenever I did the thing that really mattered, and they dumped me then, and so I'm covered now, and I just keep going, what do I do? See, the whole write the day in the Bible thing is wrong. Love never fails is because Christ lives today. 
Love never fails is because Christ is working in you today. Not 15, 25, whatever, six months ago. Doesn't matter. Love never fails is because it was never dependent on you to love. You've only experienced it. And it's manifested in you through the work of the Spirit. So if I can't look to my date of baptism or the date I walk to the aisle, what do I do? You look to Christ. That's why I, I so much prefer the term perseverance of the saints rather than the once saved, always saved thing. The once saved, always saved thing is like I bought into a club. The perseverance of the saints is no, God causes you to persevere through the trials of life. Because guess what? There are going to be trials. And I don't want you looking at a calendar and trying to remember what happened on a special day to remember to get you through that trial. I want you to look to Christ and where he's at today and trust on him to get you through that trial. Love never fails just because it's not an act that happened in the past. Love never fails is because love does not find its definition in something I have done or will do. Love never fails in this context because it is love that comes from God. I was reading a Matthew Henry commentary, and I don't know if any of you have ever done this. You ever lit a candle and put it out in the sunlight? In the pitch black dark, a candle will give you an amazing amount of light. One of those coal oil lamps does really well. But when you put them out in the sunshine, the sun makes the flame cast a shadow. It is so much brighter. That's supposed to be the progression of Christian life. That there's a flame lit right now in the dark and it looks very bright. But when the perfect comes, when maturity comes, when Christ comes, these things will be look like looking in a mirror dimly lit because we have beheld him face to face. Love never fails because love comes from Christ. Love never fails is because it is first the love that the Father had for the Son and the perfect union that they have enjoyed. And lastly, love never fails is because it did not originate in your love for Christ. The reason you love Christ is because He has first loved you. The reason you can hold on to Christ is because he has already held on to you. People walk around in this world and they sing songs like, all you need is love, and then they, they fly flags for whatever social agenda that they're trying to do, and then they tell you how much they love one another and how intolerant you are for holding to a biblical perspective of love and charity, and what God says is right and good, and then you 
step back and you look at the big picture. If you are to love homosexuals, how do you speak to them? Truthful. You see, the, the reason that the choir wrote the song about taking our children is because they won't have any. It'll take some artificial means in order for them to be able to have anything resembling a child. You see, love is founded in creation. And if you truly love someone because they are made in the image and likeness of God, then you owe them the truth. Because love never fails. It is hopefully from someone telling you the truth about your sin that has brought you to the love of Christ. And why in the world would you dare deny that to someone else? Now some people don't like it or they don't like you. And you know what? That's okay. If any of you have ever worked in a job where you had some type of leadership role, you're going to run into people that don't like you. And that's okay because it's not your job for them to like you. But it is your job to tell them the truth. I can remember an experience I had with a, a young guy one day. Um, you go through the interview process and you ask all these questions and he had lied to me on one. And so we hired on and you know I told him in the interview, I said, we'll find out if all this is true, you know, just so before I even ask questions, I could preface it with that. Because we're going to do a background check and all that stuff. And so he, he lied to me. And the lady called me and said, hey, we run this background check. He's got a, a DWI and something else. He can't drive one of our vehicles. So, okay. So you call him into the office and he's like, uh, so, hey, man, we're going to have to let you go. He looked at me. He's like, I thought I was doing okay. I said, you're doing just fine. He's like, why you got to let me go? I said, well, because you lied to us. You have a DWI on your record, and you can't perform the job duties that's required. He's like, but I've been doing good. I was like, you're right. You have. I said, but that one lie overshadowed every bit of good that you've done. You have to let you go. And he did not like me. Not at all. Not one bit. But I hope through that experience with the truth that he learns next time to tell the truth. 
because we probably could have worked something out, moved something around, if he's a real good employee. But think about this. If you hate someone because they told you the truth, who do you really hate? Them or God? So I, do, I say this to encourage you that love never fails because it is through love of the truth of God that our sin has been brought before us and that we have run to him. Don't take it personally if people don't like the truth. That's okay. But we should take it personally if they seek to go to the grave headlong, diving waist deep in hell and claiming that it's because of love. Love never fails. Now, there's another side to this, another apologetic that that we have to deal with and we'll probably deal with that next time, is what do we do with these spiritual gifts? What does Paul say here? He acknowledges the gifts, right? You can't deny it. They were there. But he does acknowledge that there is a day when those things will no longer be needed. So it's that we'll have to deal with later. But for now, we need to understand the basis of what he's trying to tell them is you're doing all these things for the wrong reasons. (coughs) There are people who are missionaries in a foreign country right now for the wrong reason. There are people who go out and do street evangelism for the wrong reason. There are people who sit in pews or stand behind pulpits and teach or preach and attend or learn for the wrong reason. Are we here to glorify and honor Christ ourselves is it caused because of the love that God has showed for us or is it in order to signal love to others that we would like them to see through us we have to be careful with our pride we have to examine ourselves often And we have to continually run to Christ. As the musicians come this morning, I want us to look past the Paul McCartney theology. Because there's so many people that live by it. I want us to look past that if I don't agree with you, it means I I hate you. That's not true either. 
And I want us to truly look at the person of God and how he is working. Is he working in your life today? Do you have that love that goes beyond this little slight affection? And if so, pray to God that it stays. Do we have that love for one another that looks to love you because you have first been loved by our Father? Do you have that love for others and the understanding that you must because Christ has loved you so much more than you've ever deserved? And do we have the gall today in order to speak the truth in love? Not expecting pats on the back or open embrace, but praying that God through His Spirit